Well, hello everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk, episode 641, recorded today live on Wednesday the 28th of October, just before Halloween, or however you... We're going to have some weird trick-or-treat experiences in uh, our neighbourhood. I don't think you're allowed to, actually, in the UK. But anyway, I'm sure there'll be some children knocking on doors, asking for infected candies um, from various people. (laughs) Who knows? Um, Anyway, uh, this is a podcast to do with music technology. Uh, We like to talk about all things to do with music production, uh, instruments, electronic music, recording, the performance, streaming, anything to do with that whole kind of world, artists, that whole lot. And I want to say thank you very much to our friends over at Isotope who are offering the... um, 10% 10% discount as part of uh, the support of the show. So if you want to head over to isotope.com forward slash Sonic Talk, you can save 10% on Isotope products right there. Uh, that's a special page they made for us and everything. Um, so, yeah, I want to say hello to our friends over in the YouTube chat room. Nice to see you. I, I may have mentioned this before, but uh, we have a Christmas party every year. I think we might be having a Christmas quiz this year. We're working on getting that sorted out. But uh, uh, you can actually, uh, if you want to donate to our Christmas drinks fund, you're more than welcome welcome to use super stickers in the YouTube chat or super comments. I don't know quite what it's called. It's most welcome. You don't have to. There's no compunction whatsoever, but uh, you could buy us a pint for the end of Christmas. And uh, I suppose the more you spend, the more likely you're going to see the rest of the guests completely hammered live on air. But maybe I don't know if I should actually use that as a, se- a selling point. That seems a little bit crass. Anyway, I um, want to say hello to our guests. We have Mr. Dave Spears from G4Software.com, who's there in his uh, home studio. Studio, uh, with the OB8 behind him and what's that is that the Art Quadra on your other side and the CS or something on the other side wow quite quite yes. the pedigree how are you Dave yeah I need to take the CS80 back to the main studio but it's too heavy for me to lift because I'm upstairs here and it's like ah, oh, I'm thinking of getting a piano removers in because I did we did that for the Mellotron it's funny, isn't it? Yeah, that that whole well, because I was been thinking, oh, I need someone to give me a hand moving. Like I bought this wood burning stove, and I stove, and I thought, how am I going to get it out of the car? Because basically, two people are going to have to stand like this far apart, gasping into each other's faces, which is probably not the thing to do. And the only person in my house who could help would be my sixteen year old daughter or my partner, and neither of them. <laughs> probably could handle the weight of two bags of sand each you know so yeah i got you it's it's one of those things but dave lovely to have you what's we got i did did i get an email from g4 software earlier I have something to do with the website and account and stuff does that mean that things are happening yes we've moved uh, we have a whole new website uh but because we never knew what anybody's password was uh previously they've all accounts have to be reauthorized uh, i have to say i've been very slack on that front that's been chris's agony for the last two weeks because uh, we moved it we moved server i mean the whole front and back end is completely redesigned we were moving from an old creaky old drupal site to wordpress so the migration was huge and yes that's been chris's baby uh, in fact we moved The first site we moved to, everything was really zippy on the front end, but when you logged in, it was like, this is way too slow. So that then had to get changed. I think that came to fruition yesterday. So yes, mails have gone out saying, you need to reauthorize your password. Uh, Yeah, so... Sorry about that, folks, but unfortunately, oh, well, that's, that's progress yeah, for you. That's the way it goes, isn't it? Yeah, you've got to, yeah, it's, it's better than getting the email saying all your passwords have been compromised and you have to change your password. That's much worse. <laughs> yeah, 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 that would have been, yes. Anyway, lovely to have you, Dave, as ever. Okay. Uh, always a pleasure. And we also have Mr. Rich Hilton. Uh, note the new uh, URL down there, hiltoniusmusic.com. Uh, Rich, of course, uh, mix engineer, live player, producer. Been doing lots of things uh, over, well, uh, over lockdown, projects on the go. But if you wanted to, I, I'll plug it for you, Rich. It feels somehow better. Rich is offering uh, his services as a kind of tuition slash uh, um, uh, production t- and engineering teaching. If you go over to uh, uh, Hiltonius Music, you can. Uh, it says get quote, but that's not really kind of appropriate. But you can contact him there if you'd be interested in that. I just mentioned that. But Rich, how are you? How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Uh, very well. Excellent. Thankful. I'm glad to hear it. Been doing much playing. Have you do you find that you're playing much music in your spare time just to sort of to to get in the flow? And I, I find that's quite a nice place yeah. to be at the moment. 
I play, yeah, I play a bit here. I play a bunch of guitar. I play on these things over here a lot. I love playing the seaboard. And lately I've resumed my piano practicing, which uh, desperately needs to happen because that's where the actual muscles uh, become developed. And uh, so, yeah, I have been playing. Thank you. Enjoy. Oh, you're welcome. Well, lovely to have you. I, I did trail in the notes that it, we might have Tori Letzler or... Uh, um, Jamie Liddell, but uh, Jamie's email in response to the topics going out was a bit ambiguous, so maybe he wasn't saying he was going to be, and Tori was supposed to be making it, Tori Letzler, but she's in LA and she was one of very late session last night because she's uh, doing some film work <clears throat> and uh, just couldn't make it in, so uh, apologies if you are dying to see them. We'll have them again on soon, I'm sure. So, um, I wonder where we should start. Should we start with, maybe, should we, do we want to go straight in with the heavy stuff or should we go somewhere else first? Would that, how does everybody feel? I feel like kind of... Uh, I, I like all the topics. All the topics. Okay, well, I obviously, like them all. The, the, the sad news, very sad news, is obviously yeah, well. uh, Chris Huggett passed away. Uh, Chris Huggett, if you don't know, a big big force in sort of UK synth design and uh, music technology. He passed away uh, last week. Um, he was instrumental behind so many instruments, you know, starting back in Electronic Dream Plant, then uh, Oxford Synthesizer Company, the OSC. Then he, I didn't know this, but he also was involved in the S1000 operating system, which if you're of a certain age, you probably are very, very intimate <laughs> with the ins and outs of his work. And then lots and lots of stuff with uh, Novation going from, starting from the base station right up to the summit. And he's, you know, it was... It, he was unwell and it was it's just a very sad you know it's, it's always sad when we lose people in this business and he was lots of people probably don't know about him because he wasn't very much of a self-publicist he was quite a shy and retiring guy and didn't really kind of make much of you know of his infamy which of which he would have had the perfect right to and i know it's a, it's a very sad moment i'm dave you were friends with Chris, I mean, I know this, and it, it and it's must have been kind of particularly hard on you, and obviously his family and and uh, co-workers and whatnot. But amazing guy, by all accounts. I never met him. Uh, he was amazing. I mean, it's funny over the last few days. I've probably written about three tributes, but I've ended up just kind of scrapping them. So what I say today uh, is kind of a pricey. I've made some notes, but it's off the top of my head. Uh, but I think really the first thing I need to do is pass on condolences to his family uh, and work colleagues, you know, Melanie's wife and uh, daughters, Nick Bookman, Novation, Chris Calcutt, uh, Danny Nugent, Jerome Munier, Jerome Newell, Noel. Uh, and yeah, we've all been in a kind of fog. I've spoken to most of them uh, since. I don't know. It's really, um, I don't know. We throw around the word, word genius. I have some insight that I think qualifies Chris as a genius. Um, but I thought what was interesting is when the news broke, I mean, we knew about it a long, you know, a while ago, but obviously it remained private for the sake of the family. And uh, I thought what one interesting comment was Simon Forsyth said that, you know, Chris was like the British version of Dave Rossum. And I've really thought about that a lot because he was definitely the most prolific British synthesis designer. I mean, you've talked about the Wasp and, I mean, there was a Nat, the Caterpillar. Uh, and the Wasp just inspired legions of British youngsters like me to get into synthesis. But, you know, as, as is often the way with underfunded and under-pressure UK companies, it eventually went belly up. And I think that's kind of what I found really fascinating about Chris as an individual, because you'd have thought that he would have been snapped up by a big company. But actually, when we talked about those days, uh, he told me he went back to repairing washing machines to make a living. But while he did that, he kept kind of thinking about, obviously, what would become Oscar. And Oscar was a mind-blowing synth for the time. You know, that drive, that filter, the subtractive, the additive stuff, the memories, the sequencer. I mean, it was my weapon when I worked with artists for years because, you know, most a lot of people didn't really know very much about it. And then, obviously, when we came to model in Posca, uh, Chris gave us his blessing and he actually gave us the final revision source code. And I know that that source code saved John, the uh, Imposca engineer, months of reverse engineering. And in fact, John wrote a really beautiful uh, techie obituary, which we've put on our website, which I think encapsulates kind of 
how inventive Chris was and how he could kind of get the absolute most out of limited components. And the truth is, you know, Oscar should have been a massive success, but it was a mono or duo synth released at the time when everyone wanted affordable polyphony and mm. Roland's Juno 6 was the same price, which kind of stole its thunder. And again, you know, they went out of business. But I mean, there's a few little funny things, you know, Oxford Synthesizer Company were the first Cubase distributor in the UK. Huh. And I think that kind of after the demise of like two companies that, you know, were fairly, well, certainly EDP were massively influential. You know, it's a real testament to his resilience that he stayed in the business that he loved, you know, and actually, even though he was a guitarist at heart. And then obviously, as you say, he went to work for Akai and did the operating system with another one of the UK's most prolific designers, David Cockerell, who was EMS. Uh, and Chris told some brilliant stories about that e era. I mean, we all know that engineers are kind of quiet, reserved people. And Dave Cockrell used to try and get through every day by saying as few words as possible and occasionally got away with none, which was brilliant because when Chris told me this, we kind of paused and laughed. I have a feeling we said in unison, yeah, there's a few people we know who need to adopt that policy. So, I mean, really, you had the Wasp, the Oscar. I mean, the Akai S1000 changed the face of electronic music, certainly in Europe and the UK. And I believe that that gave him the kind of financial ability to move from a flat into a house uh, where he stayed ever since. And then, of course, we move on to Novation, which was, I, I believe, it, originally it was him and Ian Janaway. And do you remember they did that little controller keyboard that uh, worked the QY10, the little Yamaha QY10? And I did some work for them for a little software thing that never saw light of day. But then, of course, the base station one came out, and that was a runaway success. And again, yeah, I mean, huge. as an aside, I had access to serial number one uh, through my business part of the time, which actually I took to Underworld when they were doing the first album, Dub No Bass. And after they'd finished with it, they brought it back to a music show I was doing at Wembley. Actually, it was my first ever music show. And bizarrely, Dave Robinson from Future Music saw me having a coffee with them and asked, could you kind of get them to do an interview at a time when they weren't doing any interviews? Uh, and Rick allowed me to interview them uh, for the help that I'd given them on the album. Uh, and again, you know, that wouldn't have happened had it not been for the base station. So it's kind of weird and funny how all these things connect. Yeah. Uh, but I think, I mean, obviously we know that Novation went from strength to strength. And I always thought that with Novation, you know, Chris had found a really good outlet for his kind of prolific output. And then if you fast forward, you know, to more recent times when I was asked to work on the peak and summit patches, I kind of saw the team around Chris, you know, the people I mentioned earlier, Jerome and uh, Chris and Danny and whatnot and Nick. And it was really evident they revered him and kind of were really proud to be contributing to something that kind of came from him. Uh, and it was amazing, really, because I kind of thought of those early days and how he'd survived, you know, and kind of come through with a load of resilience. So for me, and I don't want to make this about me, uh, it was a massive career highlight for me when Chris McLeod and myself and Chris Huggett travelled to Superbooth for the summit launch and we got to witness firsthand the praise that people had for his life's work because he really did shun the limelight in fact there was a brilliant moment where i introduced him to chris and bridget from the battery operated orchestra who kind of immediately went crazy oh my god not the chris hugger and started kind of bowing and asking if they could touch him uh and then on the walk back to the hotel after that party, he, he kind of chuckled and said, I'm quite enjoying this, which is a kind of rare moment of allowing himself to bask in the limelight. And I got to introduce him to Michel Mokusa, uh, which was funny because he became quite tongue-tied and, you know, he's kind of hold, hold, held work, Bob's work in kind of huge reverence. And afterwards I said to Michel, that was a little awkward. But she made this brilliant comment, which was something like, you know, if he'd have been any less awkward or any different, I wouldn't have believed he was a really good engineer. Which again, <laughs> just kind of echoes. But it does, it kind of echoes my belief, you know, like, like great artists and musicians, really good engineers are, are kind of quiet souls that are driven. They're just driven by this need to create. 
Uh, and I'd been trying, obviously, I did the Bright Sparks thing where uh, we spoke to Adrian Wagner's best friend who worked at EDP, who's a mutual friend that Chris and I used to go to lunch with occasionally. And uh, I'd really wanted Chris to talk for an extension of it from the Oscar through to the Akai through to the Novation days. And initially, because he was quite shy, I mean, he wasn't reluctant, but I think he felt kind of awkward just talking about himself. Uh, but actually, when we left Superbooth on the taxi back to the airport, he said, um, I think he was really buoyed by the whole experience. And he just said, let's do it. And then he qualified it with, I just need to have a small operation first. Oh. And we didn't pry. Uh, and then we met for lunch a month or so later, and he showed us a huge scar and told us that actually initially he thought it was appendicitis, but it turns out it was cancer and he was due for more operations and chemo. But he was really optimistic and upbeat still. And it kind of lulled me into a full sense of security because the truth is, if I'd have known the gravity of the situation, I'd have pinned him down immediately. But, you know, obviously we agreed to let him recover and then talk to him. And then lockdown happened and that scuppered everything. Uh, and there's no doubt in my mind that the delay in treatment, you know, caused by the whole COVID nonsense contributed to his demise. And then when it was clear that things really weren't going to end well, I did something that us, um, what do we call it, uh, repressed British people never do. I wrote to him and I told him exactly how I felt about his work and our friendship. Uh, and I didn't expect to reply because obviously the family were battening down the hatches and coming to terms with the situation. But he did, and it was heartbreaking. But I'm really glad I got the chance to say goodbye. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess my conclusion is there's that phrase, isn't there, about meeting your heroes? Because, you know, they could disappoint. But Chris was a hero of mine who became a friend. And I know, you know, people say your heroes might disappoint, but Chris never disappointed on any level. He was the best synth designer I think the UK has ever seen, certainly the most prolific. And he had so much more to offer, which is what's so tragic about this. And he yeah. was brilliant company. Whenever we met, I was like a sponge trying to soak up all these stories and just kind of garner a fraction of his knowledge. Although, interestingly, he was more... Uh, he, he wanted to talk about guitar effects pedals with a mutual friend of ours who uh, had recorded Adrian Wagner's studio. So, yeah, you know, we're devastated and I can't really end this on an upbeat note. But I can tell you one thing. Uh... Chris loved a decent whiskey. So I know it's a weekday and it's early, but this is for the best engineer the UK ever saw and a good mate. And I'm shaking like a leaf. Oh, well, cheers. Amen to that. Thank you, Dave. That's, uh, that's really kind of you to say that. I'm sure that wasn't all that easy. Um, I know it's, it's interesting, Rich, isn't it? I mean, you know, obviously these things are always sad and it's, it's kind of when you have somebody like this who's, who's passing, you know, someone who has been that influential. I mean, you know, aside of the instruments, it's the affordability of them, that kind of gateway that met, paved the way for many of us to get into this kind of, into this world. It was kind of him, you know, he was certainly from the UK point of view. And obviously there are equivalents in every nation, but for a lot of people, it would have been uh, uh, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, very uh, influential and uh, prolific, as Dave said. And I don't, I didn't know him. I know him through Dave telling me stories over the years, and uh, most recently when I was in Bath last time. And I offer my condolences to his family, to his friends, and to his fans because he was a really, really significant person. And I, uh, yeah, I was very sad when I heard. Yeah, I mean, it's always it's always sad when this, and quite often for many of us, you know, we talk about these th th these things that occasionally happen, and there's you know we don't have this maybe kind of a, a personal connection so much. We might have met them a couple of times, but not known. Okay, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna change things up now because we have uh, we actually do have Jamie. Mr. Jamie Jamie Liddell there, who is. Uh, He's just getting in. I will see if he could get his uh, tech to work. I can't hear you, Jamie. I don't know if you can hear us. So uh, while you sort that out, you might need to change your inputs and uh, re-bring the browser in. But uh, hopefully we'll get to him. But yeah, I, I mean, not not always a fabulous way to start start any show. But I mean, great a great tribute there, Dave. Thank you so much for that. No, thank you for giving me the time. That's all right. You're welcome. Um, okay, right. Uh, so uh, let me see. 
I would just wait. For, yeah, Jamie's reconnecting. Um, let can you me hear my audio now. I can hear your audio. I just hey. can't see you. That's yeah, it's always this hilarious nightmare of my camera is available but doesn't show up. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so hang on. I'll. Uh, this, this is like, you know. let me see if I can uh, assist you there. Uh, it's pre-show. It's like pre-show show during the show. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. Sorry, man. Um, <clears throat> I think I can make it work if I plug in straight into my input on the back of the computer. So just give me five seconds. Okay. All right. We'll All do right. that. Well, in the meantime, uh, let's, right, let's move on to uh, some other subject matter. Um, oh, let's go here, because I think this would be a, a, maybe a, also an uplifting. Oh, there goes Jamie. I don't want to see any of those valve mics going onto the floor. We had that thing. With, <laughs> so I'm going to turn that down in case we hear some sort of pratfall in the background. I don't want that to happen. But let's start. Let's do this. This is going to be good. So this is new album from uh, John Carpenter Weeper this is a track called Weeper Ghost Lost Themes 3 Alive After Death and this is again you know, another great this is really interesting about I saw John Carpenter perform live he, he performs with his son Cody who I think is the drummer and this is very John Carpenter's new material I don't know whether it's material that, has, that wasn't there uh, in the past but has has been sort of finished and whatnot. let me just post this link into the chats so yeah, this was a story on Synthetopia. But basically, uh, John Carpenter, new album out. It's coming out in February 2021. But it started a whole load of interesting conversations. I mean, you know, for me, John Carpenter, you know, Escape from New York. And there's a really good video, which uh, there's a little bit of it here. If I play just a bit of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Who would think Alex. that here we are in, you know, 2019 talking about music that I did in 1981. But it, it held up. I mean, you don't think about it at the time. You just do it. You know, they say success is the, the the merge of opportunity and preparedness. I knew what I was doing. Opportunity came up and and, and I delivered. Uh, that's a really great documentary that Alex Ball did, uh, where he's also talking to Alan Howarth about uh, his involvement because he was the kind of the the engineer slash uh, musician producer whatever uh, behind a lot of the soundtracks. Because John Carpenter did all the soundtracks or many of the soundtracks to his films. That was his thing. And there's a there's this packed full of great quotes. Uh, one of them was um, he treated it like a holiday because he would go fit, from all the production and directing and the stress of that and the managing the money, he'd go into the studio, turn the phone off and just basically make music. And the simplicity of the, a lot of those scores, it was very bold because as we know, you know, they've become more and more overblown and complicated orchestral. But many of these we remember. So, I mean, it may, while it may not be currently particularly current in terms of musicality the work stuff he's doing now it's still very much john carpenter um i'll come to you first rich have you because you've done some score work as well have you ever have you crossed paths with the john carpenter universe anywhere along the line i may have heard a piece of music here and there but i'm not well familiar with his previous output i enjoyed this track very much in the show prep and uh Look forward to hearing what the rest of the album sounds like. Yeah, I think, like I said, it's coming out in February. But I suppose the interesting thing about this is there were so many interesting points. Um, Alex uh, was um, that they he had to score the yeah they did the whole thing. It was very much improvised and lots of there's loads of great techy information in that documentary. But um, Alex, did you get to see John Carpenter play live because he was touring in the UK? I went to see him in Bristol a few years back, and it was it was great. It was cheesy, but it was great. <laughs> It's really iconic, isn't it? I love that kind of driving, pulsing bass. I don't know. I was, I kind of loved Escape from New York when that came out. So I was kind of hooked from there. And then when you discover the story, it's like, oh, he did that. And he did that. And it's like, wow. I tried really hard, as you know, to get Alex on today, but it's half term and he's on kid duty. And I know he was really gutted, but uh, he'd have been brilliant to talk about this because obviously I love that video that he did with Alan Howarth and stuff. Although there's one bit that completely freaks me out because there's all these pictures of the Arp Quadra and they've got a coffee cup resting on it. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> I mean, it did make me come out in hives. Uh, but yeah, amazing. I mean, amazing. It's kind of timeless. I think that's what I, I kind of love about it. But I'm as soon as you hear some of his stuff, you just it just kind of transports me back. You can almost smell the era that you were in at the time. It's very strange. I do like that about certain There's music. some pictures of the score that they had to do, uh, Escape from New York, and then there's a, just a great picture of them in the studio together. I think this is part of the commemoration. There's the coffee cup. There's the, the coffee cup on the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, God, just behind his arm. 
Oh my god! Whoa! On the yeah. most fragile bit of the Quadra. That uh, yeah, that doesn't seem like a very smart uh, a smart thing to do. Um, I know it's quite interesting, uh, the, but the, the the thing that I watched the Alex Ball documentary uh, before the show, and there was there were so many things because he was. At the time, you know, it was very much Hollywood scoring and still is very much there's a sort of way that things are done. So, you know, you'd have the orchestra. The deal would be that the score then had to be provided to the uh, uh, the movie, uh, uh, the studio, so that they could then, you know, uh, deal with the publishing and whatnot. And uh, a couple of things came out of that. Uh, um, he gave Alan Howarth uh, writing credits on that album, which was pretty good because, I mean, that must have, that must have uh, made Christmas pretty pretty bearable for the last 35 years i'd imagine because yeah. I mean, it must still sell a great deal but the other stuff with all these kind of little isms you know like you know the underscore that they would use you know would literally be two notes and a little arpeggio a little sort of tinkly sequence line and so they use this it was so incredibly minimal at a time when things were much more lavish and they are very much now but at this but now the thing is is we probably remember those themes equally as well as we would do to some of the big zimmer scores or you know some of the the john williams things that you just sort of know but the result is the same but the amount of the, the amount the, the the fact that it was so scaled back it's almost like that simplicity kind of thing it, it it's a, it's a it's a testament to that i mean rich i know you've worked with uh, uh on soundtrack movie soundtracks is there a temptation when you get to do a movie that you've got to use the budget to get the orchestra in you've got to go large because that's what's expected to a degree i mean i i i, I know you, you perhaps it wasn't you specifically it was commissioned but is it I, I I wonder how hard a sell it is to go. Actually, what I want to do is do it all on a piano and a and a bongo. You know what I mean, rather than the entire full nine yards. All of the directors that I've worked with placed a greater concern on getting the right texture for their movie than how that was going to happen. But that said, at least two of them, um, which would be Landis and Coppola both expressed a preference for orchestra straight away. And so it was never in doubt that there would be orchestra involved in something that they were doing. Um, whereas Friedkin on the movie Blue Chips was less specific and less clear about what he wanted to do. And we did do a bunch of mock-up orchestral stuff, some of which may appear in the movie, but mostly it's not orchestral sort of sounding anyway that score um so you get a sense and that's mostly hashed out between the uh the director the producers in some cases and the composer which i wasn't specifically the composer on these movies nile rogers was so sure. i was privy to the conversations that involved this subject but i wasn't a determinant person in that conversation. yeah 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 no i understand yeah I wonder, because the thing is, is, I mean, imagine it as a director, you, it's such an, you know, most directors, you have to live and breathe it so much. And the idea of, 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 of downplaying the music, not going large, not having that thing might be seen, you know, might, might feel just alien because you want to give it all that weight and gravitas. And, and I imagine there's probably insecurities. Create, I'm sure directors have creative insecurities as, the, as well. It's sort of, it's almost like if I write a song, could I really handle uh, singing uh, and doing it with just a hand clap behind me, or would I have the confidence in that melody, you know, to, to work? So therefore, you know, by having all this sort of larger orchestral movement and sonic behind it, it kind of makes the picture seem more important just in case you had any insecurities about it. Uh, Jamie's having trouble connecting by the looks of things. I think we've got... Oh, that's annoying. What about um, not using an audio interface and just going direct, uh, just... You know, just go, go. Uh, what, what do they call it? Go native, <laughs> go native. <laughs> Let's see if that will work. We'll try Phone. that. Maybe we'll be back. Well, Jamie will be here just in time to actually uh, say thank you and goodbye. But uh, there's a studio there. Look at that. Oh, look, he's got one of the SP twenty four hundreds there as well. That's interesting. Cool. Um, yeah, interesting subject. I mean, I think John Carpenter's stuff is is fascinating. Ah, here we go. That might work. Is that working? Nice no. One. Oh, yeah, there we go. That's more fun here. I could be roving guy, you know? You could be roving guy, Jamie. Um, um, we, were just talking about the new, we were just talking about the news that uh, there there's a new John Carpenter uh, album out. And, oh, yeah. Uh, in 2021. 
Amazing. Me and, me and Christian, when we were in the band Super Collider, we'd always like come out to the music of uh, Escape from New York. <laughs> it was an amazing theme song to sort of walk out to. So sort of, yeah, it has that beautiful combination of, it's almost like so cheesy that it's sort of eerie. I don't know. It's like a, it's it's in its own zone, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And but but I also was saying that you know the thing about that is is so many of what he did has now been adopted by sort of what would maybe would term proper film composers. You know, like the there's a section where <laughs> yeah. all of the oscillators go, uh, they're just being tuned <laughs> into this one point, and it just creates this incredible. And that's now become a, a total. Yeah. You know, I mean, horror films. That's that's you know one of your main things. I think they, they emulate in orchestras, don't they? Where they bring all the violin into into a single point of tuning yeah it's that funny thing with synths you know i've been noticing recently i've been actually um trying to work more with acoustic instruments like my neighbor is an amazing marimba player and it's been really fascinated since i've done the pod with a couple of people that are really involved with working with like tones from the orchestra and manipulating those tones it's just so interesting how it's so easy to get these very um, compelling tones from acoustic instruments that are quite hard to achieve purely synthetically. And I think that with the John Carpenter, it's so synthetic that it's almost, you know, it can lack a certain um, emotional quality. There's a certain emotion you can coax, but you have to use the right kind of process almost to achieve that. At least that's how it feels to me at this point in time looking back. Mostly, it's easy to do that now, but then it was really groundbreaking, you know. I suppose it was the sense of atmosphere and the the melodies that really kind of worked with the John Carpenter stuff, wasn't it? I mean, that was the sort yeah. of that was the big takeaway. You know, we, we remember most of those themes, uh, and because there was so little to them in many ways, yeah. we remember all the parts. Whereas with a big orchestral score, you might only remember the top line, and you might not think of the underscore so much and those things. I suppose. Yeah. True. Hey, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he was a hit maker. <laughs> he's yeah. almost like a pop writer in that way you know what i mean making hooks that's very true yeah, yeah I mean, but... you know van gellis was was so talented with that as well with his themes i mean i suppose ultimately any any composer morricone any of the great sort of film composers are, they do leave you with these incredible you know themes that are as catchy as any pop song really so, well, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I should actually just introduce Jamie Liddell. Uh, Jamie Liddell's there in Nashville oh, yeah. in the studio. He's <laughs> on his phone because we couldn't get we couldn't get his tech working. He came in late. Uh, Jamie, of course, Man. fantastic singer, songwriter, <laughs> producer. What have you been up to, Jamie? Quickly, you get to have your introduction. You do. And, um, oh, and your podcast yes. as well, which is uh, a fabulous resource. Thanks so much. Yeah podcast is in its third year now which is really bizarre actually um so yeah i've been really enjoying putting that show together still still you know <laughs> keeping me busy uh yeah i've been like i said i've been working with my neighbors which has been fascinating because they're from a different world you know they're classical percussionists and uh on a very high wow. level um boston symphony and uh g h Jung is uh one of the world's best marimba players uh, and she wow. lives literally across the street. So it's ah. actually bizarre to try to think about interfacing those kinds of players with the modular and just, I've been sort of, it's been expanding my mind, which I really like. I appreciate that because yeah, uh, I really like making music, uh, you know, <laughs> of all sorts, but something that I've never done before, that's always the, the best thrill. And uh, I've been racking my brain, like trying to interface an instrument like a marimba. It's, it's quite, quite tricky. I'm going to get hold of one of those rings, you know, those Genki oh, ring yeah. things. I'm going to try to use that to sort of capture her playing her gestures and uh yes and i'm going to try and add contact mics to the instrument anyway that i've been there i've been making lots of sample packs which are coming soon and uh you know just yeah not much music i could do doing a bit more music of mine but i've been learning piano that's been my main focus I've been spending my most time just sort of uh, trying to learn at last. <laughs> 20 years you know, later, I'm like, oh, I can actually play one of my songs. That's funny. I was thinking of a story earlier, actually, just because I learned to play piano. Uh, a friend of mine's mum was... Uh, a quite an eccentric lady, and she was uh, she was a Mexican concert pianist. Uh, the, their American family that lived just up the road from me, and I learned piano from her. 
And she was also, she had a really interesting past. Not only was she class, you know, like concert pianist standard, she taught me, you know, Freddie the Frog and all the kind of stuff. Must have been incredibly <laughs> frustrating for her. But she used, to, <laughs> she used to listen to Jean-Michel Jarre. And I remember she also introduced me to yeah. Oxygen. And at the time, so I was a really little kid, and I remember hearing that at her house when I used to go for the uh, for piano lessons. So it's a matter. I can't. I mean, I can. I've got the rudiments, but that's about it for for now. Take this out, dude. Oh wow! You got the vocoder. Yeah, they lent new me one, one. and uh, yeah, it's a new one. It's very. Hmm. Um, it's very good. It's fantastic. There's. I, um, my. I should plug it because I'm just going to shamelessly plug. Now I have a Patreon for the show. It's patreon.com slash Hower, H-O-W-A, hanging out with audiophiles. I've been doing all these sample packs. There's a load of samples of the vocoder. I'm doing all the vowels on every key. And like, you know, it's really cool. Super, I just, I, I sung a few notes and just w waited for the vocoder to process them all. And I was just a witness to the vocoder. And it was like, oh, it was really a treat. Yeah, super cool, super cool box. Nice. I don't Maybe. think I've ever ever yeah. even seen one of those, let alone. Uh, well, and I this has been an endeavour of mine. This has been a really big endeavour of mine. This whole thing here is like a polysynth. Um, right. Yeah, it's the. I got a bit involved with. Uh, <laughs> with <kidding> it. me. <laughs> yeah. There's but some cable fetish going on there, Jamie. <laughs> look how neat that is. I mean, that's a four voice synth with velocity, uh, using um, surge oscillators and. Uh, uh it, it's it's actually really beautiful it's uh it's super nice uh, so i'm really proud of that and it actually worked how, this, long, um, how long have you had that patch set up on it though and when are you going to change it yeah i, I, I set this up yeah i said yeah i'm not touching this because yeah it was it was a bit of a bit of a, now this cable's going behind the case you know so they sort of they they go over the top and then through the hole here so they're sort of they're out of the way yeah you do have to become a bit you know, it, it taps into different parts of your brain, but that's why some people like it. And of course, I've got this thing, which you may have seen. The uh, you see that? Oh uh, yeah, that's the uh, SP twelve hundred kind of uh, remake, isn't it? Is that's that, right. Uh, yeah. Is it good? Mm -hmm. It's very good. It's very good. I've been on the beta team, just sort of getting going, you know, working on that. I've just got this as well from UA, the Ox. Oh yeah, that's the. Amp. That could be interesting for processing sounds. Anyway. I'm very excited to be on the show. I'm just showing you all the bits. Excellent. <laughs> I've well, done. Look, that's, all, look, that's all the bits. That's the tour. So we've had the tour. Well, I suppose <laughs> we could talk about a, a topic, really. I mean, just trying to think what uh, what's the next thing. Uh, I mean, uh, gosh, there's so many topics that we can... Uh, we could... Should we do the... Um, instrument we've never heard of or should we i'm just trying to pick the pick the topic because we've only got 20 minutes left uh okay how about this one so this is uh just this just really simple idea so this is basically Hi, my name's oh, and i created f and tone because i think plugging your guitar into your computer should be as easy as your old tube amp so we made this dead simple usb interface that sounds great and it has no extra boxes or adapters to keep track of it makes jamming in your digital environment easier than ever before. Here, let me show you. Right, I won't, we don't have to list all that, but basically <laughs> it's a cable with a USB-C on one end and a jack on the other. It's the sort of thing that when you look on eBay, you buy them from obscure Japanese companies and they don't work, obviously, because there's just they've soldered one thing onto the other mm. one. And you, but this actually has a little class compliant <laughs> audio interface into it. Plug a guitar in and just think, what a great idea. And uh, F in tone. I'm, I'm, I've just suddenly thought that's an interesting name for a, a topic. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Rich, I'll come to you first, Rich, because... Uh, the, the, just the simplicity of this. What a great idea. I mean, it, I hope he does all right, because the, the, it's actually not... I think he's he's reached his goal. To, they're doubled almost... Well, about two-thirds... One and three-quarters time their goal, but more of this sort of stuff, making it so easy. You plug it in, you plug it into... I guess you plug it into a, uh, an iPad or a, a laptop. I think it's USB-C, so it'd have to be the right kind of iPad, but... It's also mono only. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. he'll build he'll build a stereo one with what he makes from this one, and uh, it's cool. It's Twenty easy. bucks, I twenty guess. bucks, piece of cake. Yeah, just seems like yeah. I just flipply flow this. I mean, this isn't really a major topic. It was really more of a kind of just simplifying the uh, the technology so that most people could just plug something in and have it work. Is a kind of a cool idea, right? Um, Dave, you haven't spoken right. for a while. I know you're not a guitarist, but you know, be good to be able to just plug something straight in like that with a with a, a real cable. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, 20 quid. I like the name, uh, honestly, the company name for me. It's, it's it. I'll, I'll buy one, yeah, because it needs to branch out into, you know, everything like effing synths and effing guitars and effing effects and effing singers and all the rest of it. I could have a lot of fun with that. So, yeah, yeah support this guy so he does more stuff, I think. Uh, yeah, no, so I like this. I mean, I've, the simplicity of it's amazing. I use a – in fact, I'd like something for the phone because I use this – I think it's an Akai thing, a box – and I can never kind of make it work 100%. I, don't, I never know whether it's stereo or mono. And, of course, when you plugged it in and you'd done your thing and then you listen back and you go, oh, it was mono, you kind of lost the vibe. So anything that makes life simple, I'm, a, I'm down with that. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think so. Jamie, I, I, you, you play guitar, don't you? I have a couple of – it's my first instrument, really. Yeah, I used to annoy my mum with it. And, uh, yeah, I never really got beyond sort of pentatonia which I think is really the best thing about guitar anyway, screw the rest. But anyway, um, I've been, I tried the Ox, you know, with a bunch of drum machines and synths and stuff. I was really excited to sort of see what would happen with, with their ampy world going on other things. But it's quite tricky, really. I was a bit, I, I didn't like it. So that's, that's interesting. I wonder if like plugging other things in with this cable would be would be tricky as well you know well Obviously, i think you've got to get them out if you put if you're putting modular stuff into a guitar input the the line the level mismatch is going to be enormous you need something to oh yeah no i do all that right yeah, yeah. come on oh yeah i'm you sorry think I an amateur? <laughs> of course i do that right i've got the impedance right how many bloody have you seen how many of these i've got i've got oh, like okay. seven of those bastards but yeah, no, I know. It, it's, of course, there's levels, there's bloody, all of that shenanigans. But it just sounds weird. And then I thought to myself, is that always what happens when you plug stuff into real amps? Does it sound kind of thin in a way? But, you know, I used to, what I used to do, side, side note, sorry, I'm getting carried away now. But this is maybe useful to live performers if live performance ever happens again. I used to insist that I had a bass amp. This is a weird thing, right? I used to insist with my rider, I had a bass amp on stage behind me when I was doing my shows, just because I could sort of, regardless of if their monitoring worked or not, I could sort of run my stuff into the bass amp and sort of get started, even if it was a bit of an issue. And I do remember vocals into a bass amp was a really cool vibe, <laughs> small aside. And then maybe everyone thinks of guitar amps for that, but I thought the bass amp was much cooler. So maybe that's what I need to do. I need to work on bass amp models. And uh, yeah, the cable's cool. Yeah, bring on uh, the cable. But, but bass amps have been they used to did, Rich. They didn't bass amps used to they used to be used a lot for uh, PA's, didn't they? I mean, I seem to remember there was, uh, uh, yeah. But I've, I'm sure I've heard that happen happen before because it's just got a lot of oomph to it. Um, people love to plug things into bass amps. Guitarists quite often love to play through bass amps. So uh, yeah. yeah, just not carry them perhaps so much. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Um, okay. How about this then? Uh, I was going to put this. Yeah. Th this, uh, this feels like good news. This is output got 45 million quid in funding. I mean, output, uh, relatively newcomers, I suppose on the, on the sounds and software side of things, although they have been going quite a while. Um, uh, arcade hmm. was the, the big release, um, which was the kind of almost like a groove and sample player that you get new sounds for. It's a subscription service. But obviously they, they've been going great guns during lockdown as people have been looking for inspiration. I mean, I, and that's quite encouraging. Maybe, mm. you know, the fact that, that the rest of the world outside of our creative bubble where we're all sort of saying, oh, well, God, it's awful. Everything's kind of going wrong and it, <laughs> it's never going to be the same. Somebody's going, here you go. Here's 45 million quid. Go and do something with it. It's kind of that. That seems pretty good. I don't know how... What, or is it a bit risky? I know, Rick, uh, Dave, you were shaking your head there. Do you think? Uh, do you think it's a bit scary, or does it? It seems like a good, a good endorsement of investing in creative, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just find that amount of money completely scary. If I was sitting on the board of that company or was involved in that company, you got to deliver. But um, yeah, amazing. I only, I only heard about this last week, so and my jaw hit the floor because. I'd kind of anticipated after the Rolly situation that we weren't going to be seeing any kind of investment like that again. But there were a couple of really interesting things on the website. I thought the the one that I think it might have been on the Create Digital Music site where he said, according to output, more than 50% of sessions result in the writing of a new track. Now, How do you know? 
Well, and also there's that other conundrum, isn't there? Does actually starting a new track equate to finishing a new track? But I had this conversation with somebody in the industry not that long ago, uh, quite high up in the food chain, as it were, and he said, we were talking about sound design, and I, I told him the amount of time I spent on patches and stuff, and he said, users don't want to do that anymore. You know, five years ago, they'd spend four hours making a patch for a mini Moog, but now in four hours, they want to complete a track. And I think that's kind of interesting. And, you know, if this is heading in that direction, it's going to be quite intriguing to see what comes out of it. I mean, certainly their roster of artists is uh, lengthy and reasonably impressive. Well, and the thing is, a lot of their library and their dedicated instruments, um, <clears throat> people really, you know, that that there seems to be a curve that happens. Like, you know, Spitfire really made it through in the uh, film composers and media composers and just kind of interesting people who are doing interesting productions. It, it's like their stuff was the stuff to have. And Output have a similar kind of uh, reputation, I suppose, for a lot of their stuff too. I don't know. That's interesting. What I mean, you're doing sample packs, like Jamie. I mean, obviously, there's there's something yeah. in that. So you know that that if if you're doing it, they must be on on the right track, right? Wow. You know what I always think of with output. Um, I have a friend, Justin Stanley, great producer. He's worked with Prince and like uh, you know all all these amazing artists. And uh, he's got these two great kids, and his 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 son Swade had made a track. And uh, it, it was playing it in the car, and I was like, "This is amazing! Like, this is crazy! Like, had all these beautiful progressions." And he was really in control of it, and he was telling his story over it. And then Justin said, "Yeah, it was all done with um, Arcade, you know, the output plugin." And I was like, "Well, that is pretty fun. I mean, the fact that it tapped into the imagination of a child, and they were able to, un you know, maybe they're one of the, maybe you know, his son was one of the fifty percent who made a track, you know." Because uh, it made it, it to the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it made it to the car. And it was great, you know, and it was super cool. So I was like, this is like maybe like the new Casio. Do you know what I mean? Oh, uh, yeah, I it's see like, what you mean. It's like that kind of like, you used to get presets. You used to get presets on organ drum machines. I mean, ultimately, they were awesome. Didn't hurt Sly Stone's career to have the rhythm ace. I mean, I never thought, oh, come on, Sly. Why can't you make your own beat? How can we have to use Foxtrot? Because it was just like, it was just incredible. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it just happened to be an amazing starting point and tone color to make compositions happen. And yeah, and it is an interesting world. I totally, I totally get that. Everyone wants everything fast, fast, fast. Um, you know, good on them. Wow, that is a lot of, amount, a lot of money. I mean, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, it's wild. Yeah. Well, they, I mean... Uh, they uh, must think they're going to get the money back, you know? Well, they're, the so thing they must, is... They, they, yeah, the the right. thing is, I know, Rich, I don't know if you saw that they said, you know, they, they haven't even got any mobile stuff yet, so obviously that's presumably somewhere it's going to go. Ah. But it's, I don't know, it's an interesting thing that Jamie was saying, the fact that you can make people less likely to create, you know, spend that much time on a single piece of music, want to just kind of do something and have it done. And I was talking to Rachel Claudio, and I did a really good interview with her, and she said, you know, th she thinks maybe in the future, now she's got a kid anyway, she's going to kind of go, well, maybe I shouldn't just, I'm not going to create opuses, I'm just going to kind of do sketches and try and finish off these kind of vibes and just release shorter and less complicated pieces of music. I wonder if that's, that's a thing. Well, short stories have survived for, you know, millennia. So maybe, you know, why not? I like I like that too. I like the idea. I like everything Jamie said about it. I like everything Dave said about it. Um, yeah, good on them. Hope uh, I haven't used the software, so I don't have a personal experience to relate about it. But uh, I see them uh, creating very popular and very in, uh, innovative software ideas, and uh, I think it's fantastic that they got this kind of uh, backing. And hopefully, I and I look forward to seeing what comes. Absolutely, yeah. Dave, did I come to you first? I can't remember now. My memory's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, okay, yeah, good. Yeah. I, I did ha actually, just in the spirit of uh, drinking to Chris Huggett, I took a slurp oh. of King's Ginger and I realised I didn't good really man. have any lunch and it's gone straight to my head. And I've, I, <laughs> so I've already become forgetful. Literally, I, was, I, was I had it in a sequential shot glass. So I feel like I'm really oh, flying, yeah. the, flying the synth flag. Yeah, really. I'm doing it properly. Um, yeah. yeah, this is but this is amazing news. I mean, it, hopefully it is because I mean, as we've seen, there's been a number of investments in companies which haven't quite worked out yet. I mean, Native Instruments have got some more investment, but Roly took a lot of investment, and they didn't necessarily 
come up with, or as far as we've seen, the product that is really, really mainstream. I know, Rich, you're, you know, the Seaboard is something you really dig, but I mean, I, I, they didn't sell 100,000 of them, I don't guess. You know, so it's sort of, I haven't hit. God, I, don't I, know if I hope not, because <laughs> they're all going to break someday and they have no service department. Ah, well, that could be an issue, yeah. yeah. Well, they have uh, one but, service department. I should be fair, they have one service department. Okay, fair enough. Um, uh, so, Jamie, you've got so far you've got two possible show titles. Pentatonia, I thought was quite good, and also why did oh, you yeah. Sly? Why did you use Foxtrot? Is it actually another great show <laughs> title? <laughs> that might just be a bit long. In the uh, might be a bit long. Okay, right. So we've done that one. Uh, gosh, what's next? Uh, let's see. Uh, well, I suppose if we were talking, we did talk a little bit about the. Uh, um, about Riley in that last subject, so maybe we should look at this new uh, surface. This is called Array. Meet Array Touch, a new kind of music controller. So really, it looks like a really large seaboard block to me. Oh, it's it's quite hypnotising. There's something about blinky lights that just get me every time. In fact, let's have a look. So they're running a Kickstarter as well. Uh, they are doubled, so wow. blinky lights obviously working. So they've got double their pledge. They're going to be released. Nice. I think it's about it's about 560 euros for the or 590 euros USB C. But I mean, sure, isn't that basically Roly technology completely? I mean, that looks like total. I mean, I'm not sure how you could get away with that. Do you think that that's an interesting? Did you ever uh, um? Go for the roly thing, or that have the idea of the blocks or the no. seaboard and stuff. Yeah, I need some of that MPE business. You know, I, I mean, yeah. Any advice as to what to get first? I'm all ears. Um, this does look quite fun, doesn't it? It definitely gives you that idea of like, what would music look like in the future? <laughs> <laughs> we'll be hitting these sort of it's like hit the ripple tank, and then you stick. You know, it reminds me of those 80s videos. Remember, they used to cover the snare and like talcum powder, and you'd give it a go like, bam, and it all spread. <laughs> they need to sort of get a bit of talc on there. They need to sort of talc it up. And then um, they'd have blinky lights and talc. They might get uh, like 80 grand just for the talc. That's true. Well, but that could be an optional like, extra, maybe, yeah. It is interesting how there's talc. so much of the. You have to really sell the dream, don't you? You really have to. It's all about sort of these Kickstarter things. You have to sort of. So I noticed that with sample packs as well. I was getting into a chat with my friend, uh, Lucky Paul. He'd done a sample pack. It was all about the sort of, he's working with someone. It was about nature sounds, different kind of sounds. He's saying that there's much work went in, into the promo and selling the dream of it as making the actual sounds. You know, there's so much of that, obviously. It's needless to say, but maybe in this day and age, we're, we want the dream of it. And But hey you got to you got to keep the dream alive if this thing works and it it works as well it looks really cool <laughs> but yeah rolly must be like hang on a minute but then again right. doesn't it look like a tenori it looks like a sort of a tenori on is that what the name of that thing was yeah i remember that so yeah. you were t i mean mm -hmm. it comes with it. it's got an editor and stuff you need to do all of, and you can do all of these things with it but it does look pretty futuristic doesn't it it really you, does. Have you seen like the woman who does the symbolic sound stuff? I can't, I always forget her name. Uh, Susan Cicciani. Susan Cicciani, um, no. Yeah, I think no, I, I always get her name terribly wrong. She does something with a kind of a Harkin, you know, thing using chemo and like, uh, it's really impressive. Uh, it's sort of like, this before all this stuff, I guess, became mainstream just another three years ago. But um, yeah. It's all about how you use it, isn't it? Because if you're just going to use it as a big keyboard, it's a bit of a novelty, really. But it's sort of like, what else can you do with it? That's the kind of interesting. Yeah, thing. I suppose. I suppose the thing is, I don't know, Rich. I mean, you, you, you've, you've kind of gone for this new technology playing surface. So, so, so on the surface. So obviously, you know, there's something about it that does appeal. But this is a little bit removed from Quite the a actual bit. keyboard layout. Yeah. No, it's fantastic, and and it requires a lot of practice. Your piano technique doesn't even get you halfway there. So you, you actually have to work on learning to play it in order to be effective with it. And what Jamie just said is true. It's, it's, it's who you are and how you bring yourself to the musical task at hand through this thing. And I'm 
uh, I grew up playing brass instruments, most notably trombone. And when I'm playing yeah, melody too, on this thing, and when I'm when I'm playing melody on this thing, it reminds me of being a trombone player. It's just <laughs> as hard, and it's just as satisfying. But uh, I quite often play this thing monophonically and really enjoy it. But it's unbelievably challenging, and for a long time, you sound like a beginning violin student. <laughs> and uh, eventually it starts to sound like you and what you're after. And it does require, you can't just buy one of these things, bring it on stage and expect to be any good with it. Yeah. And I suppose it's going to be the same with the, the, this pad. I mean, I suppose the thing is there's no different, you know, you don't get the haptic feedback or the, the, the textual feedback. It's, it's very much light based. Uh, Dave, I, I think did I lend you a our seaboard? Because we had a, a bigger seaboard. Yeah. Have you did you yeah. have you ever actually used it yet? Have you plugged it in? Uh, not the big one, but I've got the little blocks one that I use quite a lot. That's uh, really good, isn't it? That one. I really really like that. The big ones just yeah. In fact, I haven't Cumbersome. got a long. Yeah. I haven't actually. I haven't got a long enough lead uh, to connect it to my machines. Um, but yeah, this was actually this was funny because I was watching the video. I, you know, I kind of grew up doing the whole uh, alternative controller thing, so I've always been susceptible. And I, when I watched the video to this, I was kind of like, "Oh, this is interesting." And then when he hit it with sticks, I was like, "Whoa!" And then I thought, "Wow, yes, you can hit it with sticks. Yes." So yeah, anything you can hit with sticks, I'm kind of I'm happy with. Uh, it just looks really interesting, but I'm very conflicted now because, you know, like I say, I grew up on that whole alternate MIDI controller thing. And there is a part of me that wishes that probably I might have been better spending my time just learning how to play a bloody instrument properly, <laughs> sitting down <laughs> at a piano and practicing with the same amount of effort mm. I did, kind of going, disappearing down this rabbit hole, and then you find something's obsolete and then it breaks and then you can't get it fixed or replaced and then you go, yeah, yeah, I could have actually learned how to play a guitar, for example. Well, what's interesting about this, I, I like, is as you hit mm. it, I want to see kind of like almost, I would like to see ripples and, and movement on the pad. Yeah. And it'd be a great like, visual. Like so you hit it and, it and it just sort of goes, <laughs> you, know, you hit it and there's this sort yeah. of light explosion and all of that stuff, which has nothing Remember to that do little, with how playable it is. But yeah. But there was that little mad uh, well, iPhone app or iPad app that had a, it was like an aquarium and you could prod it and the fish would come up to the surface and stuff and kind of nibble at you, try and nibble at your finger. There's, my there's my ground was mesmerized an easy solution you just fill the whole thing with little little straws and then there's like a tank of talcum powder so like when you hit the thing like little <laughs> puffs of talc come out of the hole you know <laughs> i don't want much of this thick stuff here just a little i'm, I'm not asking a lot yeah it's a, it's a talc it's and it yeah. has a little strobe light on it as well so it's all ready to go that's a great idea. So, so you, what we see is one of one of the one of the Kickstarter goals, one of the uh, the funding goals should yeah. be the talc accessory kit. Yeah. Okay. But talc is really you get, bad for your health, isn't it? You can't breathe yeah. it in; it's all carcinogenic. But we don't need to worry about that. It looks well. Cool. It could be some other form, <laughs> something, some other form of dust. I don't know. They could be bring any in, form of dust. Bringing Johnson and Johnson as partners. <laughs> yeah, 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 but you yeah. don't. Don't you ever got on a on a side note on that though? Like when I get cables from the modular, if they come in packets and they're like contains carcinogen, you know, California recognizes this phenol properly or whatever is is carcinogenic and i'm thinking so the plastic in the cable is carcinogenic so is the touch surface carcinogenic do you ever get go down that rabbit hole of thinking as oh, a computer keyboard carcinogenic everything is am i just tripping or is that actually valid everything so, ultimately only, i think is carcinogenic in, in the requisite quantities in the requisite quite if you smoking. say if you smoke well, you, the keyboard or you smoke the cable yeah. we set fire yeah. to it yeah it might well in california yeah. <laughs> in california <laughs> and yeah or just exactly triple the price triple the price leave the town yeah. out and just team up with a kind of colombian or bolivian marching powder expert <laughs> now that oh, would appeal yeah. to Make the it all out, wouldn't it <laughs> Lord, alleged. Should I say allegedly or something at this point? I don't know. I, yeah, I, I feel I probably should. I know it's interesting though. I, mean, well, I think that there's. That, yeah, sorry, Rich, you speak. Your speak point about <laughs> things you hit 
uh, is very interesting because there haven't been that many electronic devices that you buy with the intention of hitting them with objects like sticks. <laughs> and there's a company called Cat that used to make something called a mallet cat, which yeah, was sort of yeah. an electronic marimba that you could lay end to end and have multiple octaves on. And I once watched a guy on a gig have one fail and open it up. And I looked at it and said, well, no wonder it failed because <laughs> they're built so it, it does not look like it's been built to be beat on for any length of time it just you know it would fall apart look at that you know is kind of the thing so if this thing is intended to be hit that's a whole nother set of parameters with or without the ripples on the screen um that you have to contend with in yeah. terms of its longevity and how well it does all the other things it continues to do yeah, they probably maybe they it comes need with to a sticker like that it. says yeah. "Don't hit too often, otherwise it'll be carcinogenic" or something like that. Yeah, I nah, see it. <laughs> they need to sort of do the promo video where they drop a sort of anvil on it and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they need to sort of subject it to proper stress tests. Drummer driving, you know I mean? uh, driving a kind of forklift truck, perhaps. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Just, <laughs> like, go with the Roadrunner theme here with the anvil and yeah, Acme yeah, earthquake pills. Stuff it full Do you of remember that guy? Earthquake remember the guy who jumped out the <laughs> spacecraft and kind of descended to Earth? I always thought that could only have been bad if he'd have been followed by an anvil. <laughs> was that a, it was a balloon. It was a balloon, wasn't it? Was it a balloon? Yeah, yeah. No, he's talking about Felix. Felix Baumgartner, I think, is his name. Yeah, and it was a, it was yeah. a, it was a, that's right. But it was a, it was a balloon, atmospheric balloon that went up to the stratus, outer atmosphere. That's right, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, and then he kind of jumped <laughs> off and did that whole free fall thing, which was amazing. But I always thought at the time, you know, oh, it would have been brilliant if there was an anvil following him there. Wow. <laughs> awesome. Um, Okay, well, I, it feels like, I, I, although it seems a bit churlish to end things, Jamie, I mean, I, I know you couldn't make it till, <laughs> till the... Uh, I'm so uh, sorry about that. I think right. I sent you a response. I, you know, Nick, I'll be honest. I was responding to someone else, someone, and, and I, I just wrote the word lovely. Yeah. <laughs> to which, <laughs> which I think to you is like, nice topic, Nick, lovely. And then I left it like that, and you were like, oh, so Jamie's in. It's like, uh, yeah, I'll, I've done that twice. I've responded to email. I've done that really bad thing of, like, responding to the wrong mail twice. Um, so I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh, but, you know, there's lots of things wrong with me. But um, I'm sorry. I'm glad I could make it on on roving camera. I'm, just I'm glad no you could make it on. Like, sick. I'm glad you can make it on road. as well. That's very much appreciated. Um, so, yeah, I suppose we should wrap things up a little bit. And uh, I should, before we go, just remind you that you can uh, save yourself a whole 10% of uh, uh, on products. Ooh. If you go to isotope.com forward slash Sonic Talk and you use uh, the code, oh, if I got the right, Mark, the beast, welcome Sonic Talk listeners. There's a special landing page and you can save 10% at checkout if you use the uh, code Sonic10. Uh, which I believe, yeah, there it is, Sonic 10, uh, and uh, you will save money that on a special page they made. So if you want to buy any of the isotope stuff, certainly Neo. We've got a review of Neo Verb coming up. We're just waiting for the final uh, finishing touches for that, so you'll be able to see that. But all of their stuff. So we want to say thanks very much for them to uh, for their support. Um, Rich, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, don't forget, if you want to find out about what Rich can offer you in terms of production mixing tips, Hiltonius Music, get in touch with him. And thank you for joining us, Rich. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Great to see everybody. Good. Always good to have you. And also we have Mr. Dave Spears, G4 Software. Thanks ever so much for talking about Chris. I'm sure that must have been very difficult, but uh, and we managed to have some fun as well. So uh, thanks for joining us, Chris. Yes, thank you. Thank you. That cheered me up. That got me out of my phone. Thank you, G4. Well, uh, don't forget, go to G4 Software. If you've got an account with G4 Software and you want to access it, you need to reset your password. Is that right? So that you can, because they've, they've changed providers and they can't obviously hang on to your password. So you need to reset your password. Is that that about the size yeah, of it? Yeah, do all of those. Yes, do all of those things. Yes, sorry, but it's completely necessary. We had no choice in this matter. Okay, all right. And buy stuff, obviously. Uh, and Mr. Jamie R., Jamie Liddell, uh, there with a father fabulous... What right. is that, exactly? Is that a mask or a puppet? Sorry about oh, that. That's great. I like that. <laughs> now, that I was... was like, uh, when, I, when I played with Beck, I opened for Beck on a bunch of shows, and he was going out on tour with a bunch of puppeteers who did the Team America movie, and uh, they were amazing. They had the entire band as puppets 
playing in sync with the real band and they filmed the puppet band and projected it on the screen behind on, on all the Megatrons. So the audience just got to see the puppet version of the band in in real time with the real band. That's so great. wait, so there was a, so so there was an entire band of puppet operators at the yes, same time on stage as well. Yeah, Jesus. and the puppets were on the in the back, and they because I joined at one point, they had like a banquet table, and Beck would be at the front playing an acoustic guitar, and the rest of the band were being served salad at a banquet table. And um, just hammering the table, which was all mic'd up to be his percussion. I was at that table and because they didn't have a puppet me, they made a cardboard puppet. And they told me, if anyone wants any puppet tips, they said, to make a puppet version of yourself, you just need to replace the eyes with like little dots. So there you go. That's a little okay. puppet tip. Did so that, like tour, did got, that like, tour make you... any money whatsoever? I can't, I can't imagine it. <laughs> I, I can't imagine it did. How imagine? Yeah. I, mean, I opened up for Bjork once and she was pl we were playing at the Hollywood Bowl. She had fireworks. She had fireworks, mat moss, flamethrowers. I thought the same thing. I was just like, it is amazing, but geez. But I mean, bring it on. Do you know what I mean? That's well, what it's all about. As we're very close to remember. Absolutely, yeah. That's showbiz, folks. Well, uh, Jamie, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, it's nice to have uh, have you all with us in these times. And uh, we will see you all at the next available show. Uh, that was Sonic Talk episode, uh, what was it? Uh, 641. Good Lord. Wow. Check that lighting out. See you later, folks. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. <laughs>